just thought I'd introduce our, our reading and to us this morning. Uh, we're carrying on in the series looking at uh, women of faith uh, in the Bible. Uh, and whereas uh, cultures, I think ancient and modern, uh, consistently undervalue women, uh, in God's words, they are given equal dig dig dignity. They are presented as, as heroes of faith and are just as embedded in God's great redemptive plans and purposes as men. Well, God is the great hero of the story we're going to look at this morning uh, uh, and in the song that follows it. Uh, but the faith in God that's celebrated and I think is to be emulated uh, belongs to a woman called Jael. Uh, someone who shows incredible uh, presence of mind, uh, amazing courage, uh, while many men sat on their hands. Uh, she risks everything. Uh, but while our eyes might be instinctively drawn to uh, her dramatic, and it is dramatic, act of faith, uh, we also discover that the, the song, we'll see, uh, its co-composer Deborah is herself a great example of Bible faith and will also deeply, I think, challenge and encourage us, I think, this morning. You could argue that this is not a story uh, for the faint-hearted. Actually, I think it is precisely a, a story for the faint-hearted, for those of us who deal, do feel weak, who are daunted, uh, perhaps by God's call on our lives, even this week. It was a great story that I used to read in dull sermons, um, but I'm excited to explore it uh, with you this morning, and Martin is going to come up and now read it uh, for us. Yes, the reading this morning is uh, Judges 4, verses 1 to 23, and uh, we're going on to Judges 5, 1 to 3. We're taking a little break at that point and uh, heading to, to, to verses 24 and 27. So I'll just announce those briefly when we get to them. Um, and that is on page 245 of the Blue Church Bible. That's 245. So Judges 4, verses 1 to 23. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ahud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagayim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinuam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. 
So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Haber, the Canaanite, had left the other Canaanites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Caesarea that Barak, son of Abinuam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Caesarea summoned from Haroth Haggiam to the river Kishon all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Caesarea got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Haggaim, and all Caesarea's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Caesarea, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber, the Canaanite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Habor, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes and asks you, is there anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Caesarea and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Caesarea with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. This is verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abenium, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, to your, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And we move now to verses 24 to 27. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Haber the Canite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Caesarea, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. And her feet he sank, he fell. Sorry, at her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Martin, for reading, uh, especially those long names. Brilliant. Well done. Well, it's a great uh, story, isn't it? Uh, but notice we are in the realm of facts and history, uh, uh, not fiction and hearsay. Uh, that's clear, isn't it, from the very complex uh, geographical details, the family connections, and the political alliances that feature uh, in this narrative. 
Uh, and while we don't know exactly when this story in chapter 4 was recorded, the song preserved and recorded in chapter 5 was composed on the very day of victory. And importantly, not only gives us the facts, but also spells out, I think, their implication. Well, let's uh, dive in and discover what this great story um, has for us, not just for bored seven-year-olds in uh, sermons that are long. Well, we're continuing, as I say, I've got the wrong page there. So Ehud, um, uh, the left-handed, dagger-wielding, fat-busting judge uh, who delivered God's people in such dramatic fashion in Judges chapter 3, has died. And barely is his body sort of cold in the grave when, again, God's people revert back uh, to the idolatry that so dominates uh, the book of Judges. But remarkably, instead of God uh, giving up on his faithless people, uh, he demonstrates his faithfulness uh, by committing himself to the painful path of of discipline. And it's one of the recurring themes, I think, of this uh, book of Judges, how the wickedness of God's people is only exceeded, I think, by the faithfulness and patience of God. And that discipline comes in the form of local king Jabin and his ruthless military commander, a thug called Sisera. And you may get a feel for this guy, Sisera, at the end of chapter 5, when his anxious mother wonders why his son hasn't, her son has not returned from battle. Her friends reply, uh, don't worry, he's just enjoying the spoils of victory. Literally a womb for every two, a womb or two for every man. Pretty grim, isn't it? And the other fact we need to know about Sisera is that he's in the possession of no less than 900 iron-clad chariots. A fact repeated several times in our passage. And if that doesn't sound very impressive, um, uh, in those days, it was a total game changer. To stand up to Sisera and his chariots would be like sort of going up against the the full military might of the U.S. Army with pitchforks. Well, finally, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, after 20 years of oppression at the hands of Jabin and Sisera, uh, God's stubborn people finally cry out to the Lord. And his answer comes through this judge called Deborah, uh, perhaps one of the few judges described in the book who actually seems to do the job of a judge. So an Old Testament version of Judge Judy. Um, Only her judgments are clearly delivered with God's wisdom and authority. Uh, A prophetess who applies God's word and wisdom uh, to the situations that are brought to her. And notice, although she won't be the ultimate deliverer of God's people, significantly her faithful uh, communication of and confidence in God's word uh, proves to be the great uh, turning point of the story. And the message she delivers is for a man called Barak, the commander of the Israelite troops, and this is the message. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the great commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Well, I wonder what you make of uh, Barak's response. If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. 
Apparently, Barak's name means lightning bolts or thunderous force. I think there's irony there. Here's a man who seems anything but a, a thunderous force. Uh, he's reluctant to go. Indeed, he will risk disobeying, uh, disobeying God's command unless Deborah goes with him. Well, graciously uh, trusting God's promise, Deborah does agree to go with him. But not before she prophesies that while the victory will be barracks, there will be no glory in it for him. Indeed, intriguingly, his loss will be a woman's gain. Well, uh, 10,000 troops rally to Barak, and they assemble on Mount Tabor near Kadesh. And now the action is just very briefly interrupted, introduces to another character, Heber, a Kenite, part of a tribe descended from Moses' brother-in-law, but currently in alliance with King Jabin. Uh, that the fact that Heber's pitched his tent away from the tribe suggests some ambiguity, maybe, about where he stands and whose side he's on. Well, as Sisera hears of Barak's troops gathering on Mount Tabor, uh, right on cue, just as God promised, he amasses his forces, his chariots, on the, pay, on the plain below. See how God uses Sisera's lust for power. Uh, to lure him right to the place where God promises to work victory for his people. Well, again, Barak now seems uh, fearful and reluctant once more, and Deborah has to encourage him again, go, this is the moment. See how God has already gone ahead and kept his promise. Well, before we uh, judge Barak, just remember that below him are 900 ironclad enemy chariots and just think why give up the only advantage you have in the mountains to meet them on the plain to Barak and his men humanly speaking at least this must have seemed like military suicide well God's word through Deborah does lead a reluctant Barak to act and the results verse 15 at Barak's advance the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. Well, the bookies, I'm sure, made huge losses that day as the hands-down favourite with his 900 chariots is thoroughly crushed. So how did uh, swords uh, defeat 900 formidable iron chariots? You'll have to wait for the victory song to find out. But notice two things before we move on. Uh, first, the victory is, isn't it, clearly God's. The Lord routed Sisera and his 900 chariots. That's the headline. And just to press the point home, the whole of chapter 4 is structured in a special way of parallel elements that direct us to the key truth at the very centre of this chapter. And the point, the Lord routed Sisera and his military hardware and troops. But second, notice God acts as Barak, urged on by Deborah, uh, trusts God and acts. At Barak's advance, the Lord delivered victory. And however God did it, he used the swords of the Israelite army. And God gives them, doesn't he, a part to play in this victory. And it is a crushing defeat. 
The Israelites chase the enemy right up to the gates of Sisera's home city. And only Sisera manages to elude his pursuers, uh, surprisingly abandoning his chariot to flee on foot. And also, however God did it, he did use the swords of the Israelite army. Uh, God powerfully acts, but he also graciously uses Deborah and Barak and the troops and lets them participate and share in this great victory. They all have a part uh, to play. And now here comes the big twist in the story. As Sisera flees, as luck would have it, he stumbles across a Kenite's tent, one belonging to a woman called Jael, wife of Heber mentioned already earlier in the chapter. Well, perhaps Jael didn't have too much to say in the matter, but bravely she takes the initiative and invites Sisera in and offers him protection, the protection he's looking for. And just think about this, knowing what we know about this man, not least the way he treats women, this is a moment isn't it, of high tension, of jangling nerves and drama. But Jael doesn't panic. Indeed, she shows remarkable composure and quick-wittedness. Uh, a thirsty Sisera asks for water and she gives him milk. Everything is done isn't to give the impression that he's safe and secure. Indeed, assured by her generous hospitality, he asks her to guard the tent and convinced that she will... The exhausted commander falls asleep. What would you do if you were jail? If I were, I'd run. <laughs> um, maybe get help, at least. That's the best I think I would do. But perhaps risk missing the opportunity. Well, if jail is afraid, she doesn't give in to those fears. Indeed, her extraordinary courage might lie in her name. Jail means the Lord is on high. See, whatever threat this man carries, this woman lives up to her name. She acts as one who fears the Lord on high uh, even more than this man. For Jael, it's the invisible God. It's the Lord who looms large in her actions and in her mind, larger than this powerful man uh, resting under the blanket. And verse 21 is a cracker, isn't it, quite literally? But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Well, he may have been sleeping, but I can't but wonder Jael's presence of mind, her audacious and daring courage. I remember once uh, in Mexico being on a campsite where we were warned about these nasty creatures called cara de niño, uh, cricket light insects with highly venomous bites. Uh, being nowhere near a hospital, you really did not want to be bitten by one of these. Uh, one night I woke very thirsty from my thirsty in my tent and went to the main building for water only to encounter one of these creatures uh, next to the sink. I remember grabbing a broom. I remember very deliberately tucking my pyjama bottoms into my socks and hovering over this, this creature waiting to strike. I counted to three. And then to five. I then began to count to ten. Imagining the what-ifs. What if it could fly? 
What if I didn't kill it and only made it very angry? Well, I didn't get to ten before it shot through my trembling legs and disappeared into the night. Well, Cicero might have been sleeping, but imagine the what-ifs. But thankfully, perhaps after offering a prayer to the Lord who's on high, jail for jail, the God who is proves more compelling than the what-ifs, I think. And with the skill of someone used to putting up tents and useful with a tent peg, she drives one through the sleeping Cicero's skull. Well, belatedly, uh, the pursuing Barak arrives on the scene, and all Jael does is take him to the spot where Cicero lies, skewered to the ground with a peg through his head. And now that the serpent's head is crushed, note by a woman, the fall of the rest of the minions of Cicero, while not immediate, is inevitable. Indeed, emboldened by the death of Cicero, uh, God's people can confidently press home their advantage until the remaining vestiges of their enemy's rule is finally removed forever. Well, I warned you, this is not a story for the squeamish, but I think it is a story for the faint-hearted. But what are we to make of it? Well, most of the history now, I say, is over, but the song presses home, I think, the sharp points of its message. So first, here's the first lesson. The certain victory promised is God's victory. So what is stated in chapter 4 is now celebrated, isn't it, in this song, chapter 5. God promised to deliver his people from their enemies, and he does just that. And even if he uses a few people in his purposes, ultimately this is God's work. Indeed, in chapter 5, we now discover how exactly swords trumped chariots. Look down at verse 4 to see how God did it. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook. The heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. See, it wasn't Barak's thunder power that proved uh, decisive. It was God's. He shook the earth with thunder, opening the heavens and pouring down rain. And so do you see that the very source of Sisera's strength becomes his undoing. As the plain floods, those decisive chariots become death traps. Those lightning-fast Old Testament equivalent of Sherman tanks become liabilities. And having rode into battle with great swagger, no doubt, the humiliated Sisera has to leg it through the swamp that is now Kadesh. Well, God certainly showed up, didn't he? He delivered his people. His action was decisive. As Deborah says to Barak, God has given you the victory. He's dished it up on a plate for you. And I think that's why Deborah is one, indeed, of the two great heroes of this story. She's the one who directs a fearful Barak to God's word, uh, to his certain promise. And she's the one who encourages this hesitant leader, not least by pointing him to the way God's plan was already unfolding uh, in time and, fa- and space right before his very eyes. And so she, she spurs a fearful leader uh, to keep trusting God, to act himself in faith and not in fear. 
Deborah's first words to, to Barak back at the beginning of chapter 4 should have been sufficient. God's promise should have been enough. God had been given, given everything Barak needed through Deborah for him to trust God. But such is the patience and kindness of God. And God is graciously willing to, make, to, to move Deborah to go up to Mount Tabor and to use her to repeat uh, himself. I can say to point to Barak what he's already doing right before his eyes, to give feeble legs strength, uh, doubting heart courage. Well, praise God for his word and certain promises. And praise God for many faithful women here at Emmanuel who trust uh, in God's word and encourage us to do the same. I wonder how many men here this morning recognise that we owe so much to our wives, for example, who often have demonstrated more tenacious trust in God's word than we do and have many times pointed us to where God is at work to encourage us uh, to move forwards in our own feeble faith. Perhaps it's not coincidence that the first uh, to volunteer to share tonight at how God's helped me were all women. Eager to encourage us to boldly pursue God and trust him as they point to his acts in their own lives. Lesson two. Live faithfully and boldly in God's certain victory. Well, this is a story ultimately celebrating God's decisive victory. Notice how much of the song, if you look down, homes in on the very different responses revealed in this great story of divine victory. So perhaps most obviously, we see that those who choose to line up against God and his people do get their comeuppance, don't they? Uh, for the defiant, the language of verse 20 is sobering, isn't it? Chapter 5. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. Suddenly, 900 chariots doesn't seem quite so impressive, does it, against a God who controls the stars, who determines the weather and indeed rules over all creation. Suddenly, human rebellion just looks very feeble, doesn't it? However boldly, we might shake our fist at God. And the story reminds us that however things may seem, the end is not in doubt. Verse 21, the river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river I remember taking some uh, geography students down a dry riverbed in Spain uh, years back. Uh, because of the geography of the area, a sudden downpour uh, could turn that dry riverbed into a raging torrent. And a few years ago, uh, before we had been there, that is exactly what had happened. And we spoke to eyewitnesses who spoke about how the water took away cars buildings and people 53 of them perished and yet towards the point of greatest destruction as we walked down that bed we found people had parked their cars along the riverbed ignoring the numerous warnings about that stretch of river you see this is not a god is it to defy uh, to ignore I think this story is one of those uh, warning signs. And perhaps like those who parked their cars on that bed, uh, some here have decided that uh, what we hope in, what we invest in, will somehow withstand that day that God has promised will come. 
Uh, perhaps some of us are lured into that kind of danger as we find it very easy to trust things that seem impressive and tangible and concrete that appear to offer security and power like those 900 chariots. If that is you this morning, or if you're just hedging your bets, then hear the lyrics of this song and let the music sink into your mind and heart. I guess most of us this morning would describe ourselves not as enemies of God, hence we're here. Um, But part of this song exposes those who would certainly part of the visible people of God, the community of Israel, and yet uh, when the call came to fight, uh, they voted with their feet, they ducked the call. And in this case, their inaction spoke volumes louder than words. Look down at verse 15, chapter 5. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships and remain on the coast, Asher, and stay in the coast? Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help uh, the Lord to help the Lord against the, against the mighty. Sure, there was much uh, soul-searching, lots of uh, discussion about the right thing to do, but ultimately no stomach for battle, no willingness to risk for God. Instead, many chose to, to lie low and let others take the risk. Well, perhaps this song exposes us this morning. Uh, we're happy, aren't we, to be Christians on a Sunday? But we lie low for rest, the rest of the week, uh, willing that others will carry the fight, perhaps, and carry the cost. Perhaps in our workplaces, deep down, we hope that we never have to openly declare uh, for Jesus. Well, this song, I think, warns us that uh, when all said and done, that path will ne- reap no blessing. Curse Meros, says the angel of the Lord. And where is Meros today? No one knows. Just a name, only remembered for the shame of failing to show up. Not, sh- not failing to show up for church, but failing to trust God, failing to trust his words and his promises and live in their lives. Perhaps like the people of Reuben and Dan, it's everyday stuff that fills our lives, consumes our energy. Maybe not sheep or ships, um, but work, business, getting ahead, wanting the best for our kids putting the comfortable life ahead of anything else. These are the things that sort of fill our horizons. Um, It's these things that distract us from God's battle call to live wholeheartedly for him. Well, praise uh, God for those who did uh, step up, who risked their lives, who staked everything on God's word and his promise of victory. Verse 2, praise God when princes and people willingly offer themselves. The song begins. Uh, Only a remnant of the nobles came. Perhaps they had too much to lose. But some came, a remnant, but a victorious remnant. Verse 13, praise God for those from Ephraim, those whose backgrounds made responding to God especially costly, perhaps. For Benjamin, Issachar and others, these are the ones honoured in this great victory song. And praise God for Jael who trusted in the God on high and gloriously brought down the mighty Sisera. Praise God for Jael, who in the moments 
of decision, trusted God and became part of God's great against the odds story of rescue and deliverance. The one who crushed the head of the serpent Sisera and in so doing echoed that greatest of all rescue stories of a serpent crusher who crushes our enemies and brings deliverance. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. In many ways, such an unlikely hero, largely unseen perhaps in her tent, far away from the limelight and action it seemed, and yet her faith in God um, is high, isn't it? It leads to her being exalted in this song and story. Oh, to be like jail. I guess if I'm honest, I think I identify myself far more with Barak, often reluctant, often fearful, uh, conscious of the odds that seem humanly stacked against us. Perhaps you're the only Christian in the office, in your family. Uh, maybe you're the only Christian in your class, um, where frequently Christianity is dismissed and ridiculed. Uh, how tempting just to button up to play it cool and not to risk for Jesus. Uh, perhaps like Barrett, the opposition of those, those 900 chariots um, are very big in our thinking and we'll do almost anything to stay below the radar. Just this week I was hearing about how students at university were boldly trusting God and making Jesus known during mission weeks. And I was uh, deeply challenged by their courage. I know, some, I know some of you do similar things in your schools. Um, and your example and boldness uh, encourages us and challenges us. So please continue to risk uh, to put your own reputations on the line and to live in that confident hope that is not suicide but is wise. Risk everything, knowing that Jesus is worth living for, and as many are proving around the world, worth dying for too. I couldn't finish without acknowledging what has happened in the Church of England this week, as the Synod voted to abandon the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage. Our own bishop, Bishop Oxford, spoke about the pressure from being out of step with the world and culture and the huge discomfort that it brings. And as many of the leadership spoke about the overwhelming weight of public opinion, uh, turning against the church and threatening its future, I thought about the 900 chariots, and whether it would be better to trust the weight of public opinion or trust God's words. Those who argued in the debate for abandoning God's blueprint, blueprint for sex and marriage uh, frequently spoke about the danger of being out of step with culture, but remarkably said little about the danger of being out of step with God's trustworthy word. Well, as Barak needed much encouragement to pitch up and contend to fight, just as he needed to hear God's call again and again, and to see how God was already fulfilling his promise, well, I guess we do too, don't we? And even this week, as we trust God for that final victory, Let's be assured, the great serpent crusher, who was himself crushed to defeat our great enemy, has risen again. The tomb is empty, and so victory is certain.
And so for those who hold firm, who trust Jesus and risk for him now, so too will we join in that victory song that honours our slain and victorious deliverer. And on that day, there will be no doubt that to trust Jesus and to risk all for him was worth it. Let me pray as we finish. Some words from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Father, we thank you so much for the example of faith that we read of in this great couple of chapters. Faith of Deborah, declaring and holding on to God's word, pointing others to it, pointing others to the works of God. Thank you for Jael in that moment of decision showed that she had a big view of God and did what was right. Lord, please, even today, help us to show some of that same courage. May you give us a a big vision of who you are that even this week we might do great exploits uh, for you as we trust you and trust your words. For Jesus' sake, amen.